Good morning, please join me in prayer. O oh God, our guide, set your path clearly before us and lead us to follow you willingly for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And I'm reading uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47 in your bulletin. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Zoe and Charlotte. We are, um, so we're thinking uh, from late spring and into early summer about the, really about the nature of the church, if I had to summarize it. What is the church? And what sets the church apart from any other group in the world? We're doing that kind of in a, in a two, we're kind of doing two things at once. So we've been looking at the, the places in scripture where it talks about how God calls us to interact with one another. And so we're looking for the, the one another's of scripture. And by the way, if you want to do a deeper dive, uh, I've printed, I think we still have some left, um, some little, uh, I just found everywhere in the New Testament where it says, um, blank one another. So pray for one another, or bear one another's burdens, and love one another. Uh, and you can see all of the commands about one another. So those are on, I think they're on the table here and in the back if you want one at the end of the service. We're also looking at this through the lens of our church covenant, uh, which is a, a masterful summary of the one another's in scripture and has been our church's guiding document really for 180 years. And it singles out what sets a church apart, what makes a church different from any other group. So I heard a couple months ago, a friend told me this story about a, another pastor, I don't know where, somewhere in the U.S., uh, who did what nobody should ever do, which is he Googled himself. And uh, he's a pastor, and so the church that he serves came up in the Google search results and the Google reviews. And he, his, the church he serves was a bigger church, and they had like four and a half stars out of whoever, who knows how many. Um, and he thought, wow, wow, we're doing pretty well. And so he, he, he did further what really no pastor should ever do, which is he started reading the Google reviews of the church that he serves. Now, with four and a half stars, you can imagine, like, the reviews were actually really good. And at first, he got really excited and eager until he realized, if you didn't know this was a church, the reviews would work just as well for, like, a hotel or a cruise ship. They, they looked like TripAdvisor reviews. And so he was reading through the reviews, and they said things like they have really nice facilities. They have nice bath. They have clean bathrooms. They have good kids programs. They have friendly staff. They have, like, all these things that, and I think, I think, right, we would all say those are good things, but he realized if you don't know that this is a church, you will never know this is a church just from reading the reviews. It brings up the question, what is it that actually sets a church apart? Because nice bathrooms, I don't think, is what sets us apart, even though we have pretty nice bathrooms. What makes us different? The more I've been reflecting on this morning's sermon, and I've had an extra week to reflect on it, thank you, COVID, um, 
I'm realizing that maybe this morning's sermon, this morning's topic is, it might be the fulcrum of the whole series. Because this is a sermon about prayer. And it's a sermon about praying together. Um, In our church covenant, it uses this line, and this is what we're really thinking about. Uh, We will not uh, forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor will we omit the great duty of prayer, both for ourselves and for others. This is a sermon about praying together. And it's a little bit tricky to to preach about prayer because a lot of people expect a how-to. And this isn't a how-to. Like, you can't... Because you can't learn how to pray just by listening to a sermon any more than you can learn how to ride a bicycle by watching a YouTube video about how to ride a bicycle. How do you learn to ride a bicycle? Think way back to when you learned how to ride a bicycle. You know how you learn to ride a bike? You ride a bike. That's how you learn. I'm teaching my daughter how to ride a bike right now. And you know how she learns to ride a bike? She just rides. And I push, and then I bite my fingernails and hope against hope that she makes it. She's doing great, right? No matter what I tell her to do, all she has to do is, is keep pedaling. The more she pedals and the more she rides and the more she practices, the better she gets. Prayer is a lot like that. And in fact, I read a theologian, uh, I was reading this last year, a theologian who, who wrote that in some way the goal of the whole Christian life is to learn to pray. The singular goal of the Christian life is to learn how to pray. And you could take that a thousand different directions, and this was a theologian, and so he did take it a thousand different directions. But you realize that in some sense, the whole goal of the Christian life is to learn to pray. Which is why I'm so grateful that Doran preached as well as he did last week and preached on what he preached on last week. In fact, Doran preached uh, so effectively last week that it caused me to change almost all of my sermon for this week. (laughs) Because it, it actually helped me to see this better and differently. Let me give you just a quick, because, and if you, if you haven't listened to it, you've, it's, it's on our YouTube channel, it's on our website, go listen to it. Um, I love, even his sermon title was brilliant. He said, prayer is no thing. Prayer is no thing. Now, if I had to title this morning's sermon differently, and I wish I could, but we had already printed the bulletin, I realized that this morning's uh, sermon I should have titled, prayer is everything. Prayer is no thing, but prayer is everything. And what Doran pointed out is that prayer, what he means by prayer is no thing, is that it's not just an activity. It's not something, okay, I, I, I bow on my knees and I clasp my hands and bow my head and close my eyes, and that's prayer, as though it's an activity and then I can check it off the box and move on. Doran said this, he said, prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a relationship. That's such a helpful framework. And so we're going to think about the nature of a relationship and how that helps us to think better about praying together this morning. Any healthy relationship needs three things. I'm taking this thought from C.S. Lewis. He basically wrote that any, any healthy relationship really needs three things. You need two people, you and the other person, the second person, but then you need a third thing that you have in common. So C.S. Lewis wrote... Um, in the, I think it was in The Four Loves, he says that, that friendship grows out of when you meet somebody else and you realize that you have this common interest. And whether you say it out loud or not, your, your mindset is, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. 
It's when you and somebody else have a third thing in common. That's when the relationship really starts to grow. And you need both a focus on the second person and the third thing for a relationship to grow in breadth and in depth. Now, this can be almost anything. You can build a friendship around, around hiking. You can build a friendship around you, you go to school with somebody and you, you, you both are struggling through math class. You can build a friendship around uh, you're in the PTA together or you, your kids are on the same soccer team. You can build a friendship around you work together. You can build a friendship around you like to work on cars together. Like almost anything you do, you can build a friendship around But you need both the second person and the third thing, and that's really important. You need the second person, right? So if if you just do, say it's, I don't know, working on cars, and you just work on cars with somebody, but you never really focus on the relationship aspect between the two of you. In other words, if you're only shoulder to shoulder looking at something in common, you won't really develop a deeper intimate friendship. But no friendship is sustainable either when you're just looking face-to-face and ignoring it. Like, you can only sit over coffee and say, tell me about your life for so long. That becomes exhausting after a while. See, so you need both the, the interaction with the second person and the interaction around the third thing for, for, a relation, for a true friendship to thrive and to flourish. Now, Doran said last week, and I think he's exactly right, that prayer is a relationship. Prayer is a relationship, which means that it's not a thing. It's not the eyes closed, you know, head bowed, hands clasped together. That can help prayer. But prayer must be so much more than just that activity. Because you can manage those things. You can manage those things. And a relationship that you try to manage isn't a relationship at all. It becomes just manipulation. A relationship has to be something more. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important, by the way. I'm not trying to say don't do those things. Please do set aside time and pray and just pray and just, yes, please, in the morning. And as you're reading through Scripture, please do that. The scripture says multiple times that very early in the morning, Jesus got up very early in the morning before it was even light out and went off by himself to pray. It was very important for Jesus and, and it's very important for us. I'm not saying don't do those things or that they don't matter, but I am saying that prayer is so much more than just those things and certainly not less. Why? Because we need a third thing. And so if prayer is a relationship, in a sense, with God, then what is that third thing? You might say it's whatever you're doing. Psalm 139 um, has become one of my favorite psalms recently uh, for a number of reasons, and I'm just starting to, to see kind of a different aspect of it, that, that Psalm 139 teaches, among other things, that God is present Everywhere. Everywhere. Listen, listen to this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The implied answer is nowhere. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is like the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings on the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, the far side of the sea is like we don't even know where that is back in ancient times. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. 
Now, we often use those verses, and rightfully so, to give us comfort in, in grief and in dark moments and in suffering as if to say, okay, God is with us in the depths in Sheol. And that's exactly right. That is, that is true and important to remember. I've been seeing recently that, that those are not only verses, however, for suffering. Those are verses for all of life. Where can I flee from your presence? So the question that that brings up is if God is present everywhere, how shall we then live? How do you live if God is actually present with you at the gym? Like running on the elliptical right next to you. What does it mean that God is present with you as you're driving down Route 1? What does it mean that God is with you, he is present when you're running errands? You see, all of a sudden you realize if God is present everywhere in those third things, so to speak, then prayer becomes transformed from just a discrete activity. Okay, I got on my knees this morning and I prayed and I prayed the Lord's Prayer and I prayed for my loved ones and then I moved on because I'm done with that for the day. And it transforms prayer. It's no longer just a discrete activity. It becomes a, a lifestyle, a whole mindset. So I see a, um, every week, or not every week, about once a month, I see a man named John. He's my uh, spiritual director, and I've been seeing him for about a, week, about a year and a half or so, maybe a little more. A spiritual director is, um, it's kind of like a therapist, kind of like a counselor, but really their job isn't to like help me to know myself. It's, it, John's job is basically to help me to listen for God. Help me to listen for God. And so we were getting to know each other about a year and a half ago. And he was, I, th- I think, I see now where he was going. I didn't realize it at the time. But he's trying to get a sense of where, what's your day-to-day? How, and how can we learn to pray kind of in all things? And I was describing to our family in the past three years or so has been learning to ski in the winter, and, and we just love it. I just love it. So I was talking to him about how much I loved skiing, and I remember he asked me, Chris, what would it look like if you were to realize that God is present with you on the chairlift going up the side of the mountain? Which sounds ridiculous. Like, really? Come on. And I'm an introvert, so I actually kind of want to just be alone on the chairlift. Like, I don't want anybody else there with me. But what would it look like, really, if God were with you? And we went through this exercise, and he had me close my eyes and kind of imagine, and imagine actually sitting on a chairlift and Jesus sitting right next to me. How does that transform sitting on a chairlift and skiing? Now, I was really resistant to this, and it's taken a long time to start to come around to this. Part of that's because I just have a contrarian streak in me, but it, it takes time to really begin to accept and realize that God is present and he wants to be with us. Now, we can use that, and I think part of my resistance was we can use that as an excuse to not pray. So you could use that in a way to say like, okay, well, I had my prayer with Jesus on the ski lift and there he was and I, you know, thanks for this gift and so I prayed then so I don't have to pray any, any other time. And that's, that's the complete opposite of what he's saying. Like, right? Again, because remember, we're not saying we don't focus on the second person, but what, what happens when we add that third thing into our relationship with God? In other words, what does it look like for your experience of skiing 
or whatever it is you like to do. Take whatever your hobby is, whatever your recreation is, to make that even fuller and even more rich and even more joyful because it's not just me on the mountain. It's me delighting in this thing that God made with the one who made me and giving thanks for the gift that the gift of, of, of a, a mountain and snow and the laws of friction and it's just wonderful. It's not something that you can just kind of rigidly figure out and start doing. It's, it's something that takes time to really soak. But what does it look like to start to see prayer as a relationship, not as an activity? To see prayer as a lifestyle, not just a to-do list item. This is how Paul, by the way, last week Doran uh, mentioned, we really spent a lot of time on 1 Thessalonians 5. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, a very famous verse, pray without ceasing. A rigid definition of prayer, if prayer is only an activity, we quickly realize that's, well, that's impossible. Because like I have to shower in the morning and I have to go to work and I have to get to work. I, can't, I, have, to, I have to eat and I can't, I can't just sit there like that all day. But if you realize that, that prayer is that and more than you realize we can pray without ceasing and we realize something more. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 5, when Paul says pray without ceasing, this is one of my little hobby horses that I love. The command to pray is plural. It's not singular. So in other words, the Apostle Paul is not saying, hey, you, pray without ceasing. You need to pray. No, he's, he's saying, hey, y'all, a whole church in Thessalonica, y'all, all y'all, if you're a really good Southerner, all y'all pray without ceasing. Does that just hurt your ears a little bit? I'll say it again. All y'all pray without ceasing. The command to pray is not just an individual command. It is, but it is a communal and corporate command, which is what we see in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I should point out first and very simply that when it says they devoted themselves to prayer, that means exactly what it says. They were devoted, committed to prayer. Prayer was, was in every part of their lives. Life in some way was inseparable from prayer. But let me point out as well that, that all of those are communal, community practices. They, com- they devoted themselves plural, together, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. Like, you can't fellowship with just yourself. That contradicts the meaning of the word. They broke bread together. They didn't just, that doesn't mean they just sat and ate alone, as though the mark of the early church was they they broke bread and ate. No, they ate together and to prayer together. It's, It's as if Luke, who we believe wrote Acts, is saying that prayer is such an inseparable part of the the Christian life, and I don't mean Christian individually, but the church life, that you cannot have a Christian community. You cannot have a church 
without prayer together. This is what our, our Middle Street forefathers recognized when they wrote that part of the church covenant that we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together nor omit the great duty of prayer, both for ourselves and for others. They recognized the importance of communal prayer and they didn't divorce prayer from community life. They assumed that prayer is a regular part of community life. They understood that prayer is not just a personal, private, me and Jesus thing. That's part of it, but that's an incomplete picture if that's our whole picture. That prayer was a regular part of the life of the whole church. Of the whole church and all of their gatherings. In other words, not just on Sunday morning. So it's not just I went to church on Sunday morning and I said the Lord's Prayer and we did the prayer of confession and, and we did these, this prayer and that prayer and so that's good. I've... No, what, it, what Acts 2 envisions, and if you read uh, the rest of Acts 2, what you see is that this was part of daily life for them. This was not one day a week, but seven days a week. This was not just in church, but in their homes and wherever they happened to find themselves together. A healthy church is a church that prays together. Or to put a little spin on that old, that old um, truism, the church that prays together stays together. Now let's go back and lay the prayer as relationship filter over all of this. Remember, any relationship needs what? You need two people, you need you, you need a second person, and you need a third thing. And in the context of our church life, it's we have you, you have me, we have, we have one another. That's the second person. What's our third thing? Our third thing is none other than Jesus Christ. I know that's a little bit abstract, so let's, let's put some skin on that. When, um, those of you who do the adult Sunday school class, when you're participating in the adult Sunday school class, which I know is on break for the summer, but when you're doing that and y'all are wrestling through a certain text in the Bible— And together you're asking God not only to like inform you about what it means, but to transform you. God, like change us through your word. You're practicing communal prayer. Why? Because you're in a relationship with one another, the second person, pursuing the third thing, the transformation of the Holy Spirit. When you're at the Sunday picnic after our worship service, which many of us, Lord willing, will be in about an hour and a half and you're chatting with someone and you're eating your Moe's sandwich and they start telling you about how their mom is sick and you listen and maybe you even pray with them right then and there. Like, that's communal prayer. When you invite someone over for dinner and the conversation just turns naturally to how you've seen God at work. Even, even if you don't have a dear God at the beginning and an amen at the end, That actually is communal prayer because remember, prayer is relationship. No, I'm not saying that's all that prayer is. Yes, our our personal, private, set-aside time for prayer matters and matters deeply. But it is more than that because remember, if this theologian who I was reading is correct, and I wish I could remember who it was, the singular goal of the Christian life is to learn to pray. 
That only works if we understand that prayer is a relationship. In other words, we might say the singular goal of the Christian life is to learn to live in relationship with Christ. And as the church, remember this, this isn't the church as in this event or in this place or this kind of organizational structure. No, this group of people, this family, as the church, our singular task, you might say, is to hold one another up in prayer. To pray for and with one another. So, so when someone shares about the terrible week they've had, we pray. When someone shares about their sister's diagnosis, we pray. When someone is taken from our number, when we lose some from our number, we pray together and we grieve and we entrust them to God. And when some are added to our number, as we hope they will be in the next month, maybe a little more, right? We celebrate and we rejoice and we pray together and we thank God for that gift. And we actually pray. We actually pray so there is prayer as lifestyle, but there is also prayer where, where we just grab one another and we find a quiet place away from the crowd and we just pray. We don't just send the little praying hands emoji and a text message, although that's a wonderful emoji, but we actually pick up the phone and we call someone and we say, let's just pray together. Let me just pray for you. We actually pray. We don't just say, I'm praying for you. This is one thing I've learned, by the way. It's so easy. You know, somebody shares something hard and you go, ah, I'm so sorry. I, I'll pray. Or somebody asks, can you pray for me? And you say, yeah, of course I will. And you, you, you mean it. Like you really, you really mean, you, all your intentions are, yes, I will pray. For, but life gets busy. And by the time you get in the, the car, your mind is already, and you just forget. And then you see him a week or two later. And you, ah, shoot, I forgot. Just quick little tip. And when somebody asks me now, if, if many of you have had this happen, hey, Pastor Chris, can you pray for me? Yeah, let's pray right now. Because I'll forget. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not that I don't like you. It's not that I don't care about you. I just, life is busy. I'll forget. You're probably the same way. So let's just pray right now. Why do we have to wait? But you see, when together we seek to live more and more spirit-filled lives, when we pray out loud and verbally with our heads bowed and our hands folded together, and, and when we're just kind of through life opening ourselves to be transformed by the Spirit, to be people of love and joy and peace and patience and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, we're practicing communal prayer. And what we find is that we become more and more the church through those things. Just like we prayed this morning, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Portsmouth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done among Middle Street Baptist Church as it is in heaven when we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, not only individually, but corporately, we find ourselves inevitably praying, you see? 
This is what defines us as a church, which is how we can say that the church is so much more than a building and so much more than an, an organization to be managed and run well and so much more than just an event we do Sunday morning for an hour or maybe an hour and five if the pastor goes a little bit long. Like the, we're so much more than those things. We're a family. And just like you pray with your family, and for your family, and they're constantly on your mind and in your prayers, and, and every morning you pray for your family, like we, we pray for one another. Can I, let me just, let me share, this happened just this week. This was amazing. Um, Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, and um, a couple of things in my schedule got shifted around, and I found myself with um, one of you, and I didn't expect to be, and you know who you are. Um, so I was chatting with one of you, and you asked me just out of nowhere, hey, Chris, how's your mom doing? Now, those of you who were with us last year and kind of know the past year know that 2021 was probably the most challenging year for our family to date. And um, my dad died, and then a few months later, my mom gets diagnosed with breast cancer. And by the grace of God, like, turns out to be a really treatable type of cancer, and her health is great, and her prognosis is really, really positive. But it's just a hard season. And, and so you pulled me aside. You just said, Chris, how's your mom doing? I pray for her all the time. And then it was funny because you were with your wife and your wife was like, yeah, he does. And I'm not even allowed in when he prays. Like he just, like I'm praying, stop. (laughs) To, to hear and to know, not just in a symbolic way or not just because it's the thing that you're supposed to say, but, but to hear you say like, I'm praying for your mom all the time. There, there aren't words. There aren't words. And it, and it means so much more than just, how's your mom doing? I'm thinking about her. You see? Why? Be- because, because it's a relationship, and it's, it's the two of us, sure, but, but all of a sudden we've brought in this third thing, in this case, Jesus Christ, who has transformed us. And it, it reminds us that our, our relationship and our connection and our relationships with one another are about so much more than one another. So we're thinking about the church. What does it mean and look like to be the church? It doesn't just mean to be unified or united or to be in community. I mean, it does mean those things, but you can, you've got all sorts of communities around town that aren't the church. Like the goal is not community for community's sake. The goal is not unity for you. Look how unified we are. Look what a wonderful community we are. I mean, even at a surface level, it doesn't take much to see. That's pretty shallow and self-serving if that's all it is. This is not just we're building a community for the sake of having a community. Those would be pretty shallow roots. They wouldn't hold up over time. The only thing that can really sustain the long-term life of a church family is to sink deep, deep roots into the soil of prayer, of a relationship with one another and with Christ. You see, without a life of communal prayer, we're, we're not the church. We're something else, but we're not the church. Why? Because every relationship needs what? Three things. You, a second person, and a third thing. And in this case, our third thing happens to be the second person of the Trinity, God himself, who is first and foremost in our lives. We have Christ in common. 
Not just our own unity, not just the fact that we enjoy the same things or happen to live in the same city. Like our third thing is really the first thing in terms of priority. That Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. We are his. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. And so we commit ourselves and one another to him through the prayers. Both the on our knees, hands folded, heads bowed, but just through life and living together and seeking to live, this is what's going to come at the, end of the, at the end of our church covenant whenever we finally get there, to the glory of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light.